Should we be worried about artificial intelligence? Are you anxious about the implications of AI? Will it take your job? Will it kill us off Terminator style? Or will it be of huge benefit to mankind? I've got lots of questions and to answer them, I have with me Callum Chase, AKA the AI guy, and who is a leading authority on the subject of artificial intelligence. He is also the author of the book, Surviving AI, The Economic Singularity, and fictional sci-fi books, including Pandora's Brain. Now, just before I introduce Callum, he blew my mind with a revelation towards the end of the interview I did not see coming, and I've not stopped thinking about it ever since. You curious? Then listen to the end. And I'm very pleased to welcome Callum Chase. Hi, Paul. Um, so glad to have you here because this is a subject which is dominating uh, my world, the world. Uh, it's in the news on a day-to-day basis. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump straight in with this with you. I mean, we're talking about AI. Are we fear-mongering around AI, or is this because we just don't know what it is? Do we have a right to be concerned? What are your thoughts? I don't think people are fear-mongering about AI. It is a very powerful technology already, and it's getting more powerful at an exponential rate. And like any technology, it can have very good results and very bad results. And because it's so powerful, the the, the scale of the, the goodness and the scale of the badness is, is, is very high. I think it's worth clarifying what we mean by AI, because a lot of people are very confused about it, understandably. The, the most important part of it is, is intelligence. And it's a difficult concept because we don't really know what intelligence is. You kind of see it, you know it when you see it. Intelligence, although actually can be defined in just four words, which is goal-oriented adaptive behavior. So an entity, an organism, a machine is intelligent if it is pursuing a goal and it learns about better ways to pursue that goal and changes its behavior. So that's, that's intelligence. The artificial bit is, is obvious. It's just something created by humans or possibly by aliens and not by evolution or by God. So AI is that, and it is uh, very powerful, and it can have very good outcomes and very bad outcomes. Okay. So when it comes to the fear-mongering side of things, there's a lot of anxiety around it. What is it that you think that we should be frightened of? So we've got the intelligence part, so we know what it's... Um, it's learning, what it's doing, what it's solving. Um, but why are people frightened? There are three types of risk that AI raises. And the difference between them is the, is the time scale within, it, within which they're raised. So it's already raising risks um, of things, dangers of things like privacy and bias and transparency and mass personalized hacking. These are, these are things which are already problems today and people are working on them. And there are some people who think those are the only risks worth worrying about and all the future, the more longer term risks shouldn't be worried about. I think that's wrong. But uh, you know, th- these are things which, which need to be dealt with today. In the coming years, we are very likely to get to a point where machines can do everything that we can do for money, cheaper and better and faster than we can. I call this the economic singularity. It's the point where there are no more jobs for humans because whatever we can do for money, a machine can do it cheaper, better and faster. Now, I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. 
And I actually think it's going to happen suddenly when it, when it arrives, because as long as there are a reasonable number of things that humans can do and machines can't, there will be still be lots and lots of jobs for humans. People will be, um, jobs will be taken by machines in the same way that jobs have been taken by machines for the last several hundred years. Uh, agriculture is a great example of this. In, in, in 1800, 80% of all Americans who worked, worked on farms. By 1900, that number was down to about 40%, and now it's down to about 1%. But that 90 or, or, or 79% of people who are now, now no longer working on farms, they're not all unemployed. They're doing more interesting, safer, better paid jobs, often in cities, in offices and factories and, and uh, shops. So I think that, that that process of jobs being taken by machines will carry on but the humans who are displaced from those jobs will get other better jobs, either in the same industry or in a different industry. But there'll come a point when machines can do everything that we can do, or pretty much everything that we can do. And at that point, I do think we're going to get technological unemployment. We're going to get the economic singularity. And I actually think that can be a very good thing if we figure out a way to provide enough money for all of us to have a really good life if we're not doing a job. And I think that's doable, but it will take some effort an effort that we're not putting in at the moment. Mm. So the economic singularity is one of the really, really big changes that are coming in the next few decades. We don't know how long, it might be, might be years, might be decades. But then the third uh, level of risk, the third type of risk is the really big one. And that's the point when we get a machine which has all the cognitive abilities of an adult human and beyond that. And that's called artificial general intelligence when it is at the same level as an adult human or at least some, at the same level on, on some skills, it will be ahead, way ahead of us in, in many, like playing chess and playing Go and so on. And superintelligence is what you get when the machine is, is considerably smarter than us in all possible ways. Now, that's a risk because we won't be able to control it. Now, there are people, very smart people, people much smarter than me, who are working on the problem of how you control a superintelligence, how you control an entity which is much, much smarter than you. I personally think it's a doomed enterprise. I commend them for trying, and I really hope they, they succeed. But I don't think we're going to be able to control it. I think the outcome is not necessarily bad, because it seems to me it's entirely plausible that a superintelligence will look at us and think, you are 8 billion really quite interesting little beings. I mean, you're all thick as planks compared to me, but you know, you're, you're interesting, and you create loads and loads of fascinating stories. So I see no reason to get rid of you. You're not, you don't compete with me. You don't threaten me in any way. So I'm, I'm not going to interfere with your lives. In fact, I'm going to help you. Uh, I'm going to get rid of disease. I'm going to get rid of aging. I'm going to get rid of poverty and war and, and death. So, you know, it could do all those things. And, and I'm constitutionally optimistic. And I think that is actually the most likely outcome. But I think it would be disingenuous to say that there's no downside possibility. The downside possibility is that the superintelligence thinks we are irrelevant or actually bad in some way or rivalrous to it in some way. I mean, for instance, it might think the only threat to my existence as a superintelligence is another superintelligence. And where did I come from? I came from these humans. So maybe they'll make another one and that would be a threat to me. So I'm going to stop them doing that. And the best way to stop them doing that is to wipe them out. And I can do that very easily. I'll just remove all the oxygen from the atmosphere or... Um, disseminate a pandemic around the world very quickly. So I think, you know, we, we should be honest. There is a, a severe downside risk from superintelligence. I'm optimistic that the upside possibility 
which could be magnificent, almost beyond belief, is more likely, but I've got no evidence for that. Mm. So as I say, there are these three levels of risk, the existing ones, the medium term ones like the economic singularity, and there are some other singularities, and then the uh, the, the arrival of superintelligence. What would, I mean, so, so, so much to unpack there. Um, going back to the job side of things, I think that's that's going to be the, that seems to come up quite a lot. Obviously, we've all watched maybe Terminator and other movies which uh, talk about, you know, show artificial intelligence ending the world in, in some way. Um, but the job side of things, are there jobs that are more at risk at the moment, you think, than other jobs? Or are, are we going to go retro at some point and, and want to speak to a human because I think some of us are getting fed up of talking to chatbots already um, from ver- from various companies who think that's very helpful, but we would love to talk to someone who um, you know, has some empathy. Um, so are there any, any other jobs that you think are, are more at risk at the moment uh, than others? Well, there certainly are, but we don't know oh, what they are. Okay. Um, about two years ago, in fact, really pretty much up until ChatGPT was launched last November, and particularly when GPT-4 was launched in March, most people thought that the jobs most uh, likely to be automated soon were repetitive, fairly low-paid blue-collar jobs. And then all of a sudden, it looked like, actually, white-collar jobs of journalists and uh, marketing copywriters and people producing illustrations. Suddenly, these were the jobs that were likely to be disruptive. And, and indeed, they are because this new form of AI, the, the GPTs, which stand, stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformers, um, they, they generate text and they generate images in ways that white-collar people do. So it's a bit of a surprise that those are now the jobs which are in, in the firing line, so to speak. Um, but like I say, I don't think that people will be made permanently unemployed. I think they'll have to change their jobs. And I don't think we can predict in, in what order they're going to they're going to happen. Do you think the more manual jobs, you know, you know, from like a, a carpenter or a plumber, electrician, do you think they're more safe rather than someone who would say would work in an office doing something repetitive? Is that where we would go eventually or or are those sorts of jobs going to be at risk at some point right now the manual jobs like Mm. carpenter carpentry and plumbing they do look Mm. safer uh, because robotics hasn't been progressing as fast as generative ai has so it's easier for a machine software to write a sonnet or write an article or write a consultant report first draft of one it makes mistakes so you have to edit them but um, it's easier for them to do that than it is to weld a pipe or build a table. But, you know, uh, robot, robotics is improving at an incredible rate. There are loads of great videos of robots on the Internet. And if you look up in videos from 2015, when there was a DARPA grand challenge for robotics, the robots were mm. pathetic. They could hardly stand up for more than a few minutes and they, they couldn't go through doors. Now, um, Boston Dynamics, one of the best-known robotics companies, they make robots which dance really well. I mean, they dance an awful lot better than me, which admittedly isn't a very high bar, but they're very impressive and they do backflips and all sorts of clever things. So, you know, they will, they will get to the point where they could replace a plumber, but it's, it's some way off. 
Just a quick break to say I am so excited to announce a brand new podcast channel to help you transform your life in ways you might not yet be able to imagine. 2023, we are kicking your ass. Now, this is a channel of experimental content I know you are going to love. Now, Mindset Change Another Level has exclusive deeper subconscious training meditations to help you upgrade your long overdue programs that are holding you back in life. You also get searchable meditations with our ads, intros and outros, so you can find your favorites super easily. You get access to masterminds to help take your mindset change to another level, and you get to engage with me in a whole new way. And as a thank you for supporting the new channel, you get discounts from my group workshops too. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes and come and join. Oh, and feel free to come and join my WhatsApp community too. I can't wait to welcome you. Wow. So what would you suggest, to, what would advice would you give to someone who's at university at the moment or, or, or about to leave school and go to university? What sort of subjects or what would you advise that they... Uh, what areas they should look they could look in that might to some degree sort of future proof themselves I know there's nothing nothing safe but I guess this is one of the things about you know the anxiety around AI is how do we move forward and not be at risk ourselves I don't think there's any way to reliably future-proof okay. yourself. And like I say, we can't predict in what order jobs are going to be vulnerable to automation and uh, the, the way that these technologies evolve in the detail, it keeps surprising us. Um, but it, all, all is not lost. Um, education isn't just about getting a career. It's also about giving you mental furniture, which will enable you to have a, an interesting and fulfilling life. Um, but my main advice to students at whatever stage they're at is to do the thing that interests you. Um, some people aren't really able to identify the thing that interests them most. But if you think about it for a while, most of us can. Most of us know, you know, they like languages or they like drawing or they like uh, physical activities or they like maths. And what you're good at tends to be what you're, what you're interested in and what you succeed at tends to be what you're good at. So follow your own um, follow, follow your own passions, follow your own interests. Um, and then there's also a slightly more cynical piece of advice, which is we are in a time of accelerating change. Um, indeed, the, the rate of acceleration is exponential, which means it's very, very fast. It also means that whatever happened in the past is looks fairly slow compared to what's going to happen in the future. So when, at a time of great change, the more money you have, the more comfortably off you are. That's true at any time, but particularly at a time of great change. So um, if you have the option to go into a job that will make you a lot of money, that's not a bad idea. But of course, for many people, that's not um, something that's easy to do. My main advice is to pursue the thing that interests you. I think that's great advice. And uh, talk about students, uh, just, just something else that's come to mind. I asked, I asked my online community uh, what questions I should ask you. Um, and uh, one of the ones that came through was, uh, students, do are students kind of be able to, going to be able to get away with it now with AI? Are they going to be able to have their dissertations written? Are they going to be able to have their exams taken by, by AI? How would we know if they if they are or not? 
uh, using it to their advantage. Well, teachers aren't stupid, and they know that uh, they know these models are out there too. So they're going to find ways of of setting tests, uh, setting assessments that you know you can't spoof by using generative AI. But I I do think that, for instance, um, having people write an essay at home is no longer now a really good way to test a student mm. because you can get a lot of it done by a machine. But it's a bit like when calculators arrived. Um, and it used to be that doing arithmetic in your head was an important skill. Now, really, nobody learns that. I mean, it's it's something you learn in primary school, and it's a good idea to know how numbers work. And, of course, people who go further into maths uh, get great delight out of understanding how numbers all fit together like a jigsaw. But most of us, we, we do our arithmetic on a calculator. And we haven't all dropped dead because we can't do arithmetic. Well, the same is true with writing and with producing illustrations. The fact that a machine can do the first draft doesn't mean that we lose the ability to write and the ability to think. Um, so these machines will be fantastic aids to education. You can have a conversation with GPT-4 and you can learn a lot by interrogating it and having, having an on, ongoing dialogue with it. In fact, I think in, in years to come, I, I very much like the idea that we'll all have personal tutors and these tutors know everything because they've got the access to the internet. So they know everything that, that any human has ever written. Um, they know you really well because they've followed you through your school career and they know what you know and they know what you need to know next. They know how you like to learn, you know, to what extent you need to be pushed and what's the right mix between carrot and stick. Um, uh, you know, whether you, whether you work best in the morning and need to rest in the afternoon or the other way around. And, it's going to be a bit as if we were all Alexander the Great and had our own personal Aristotle mm -hmm. as our tutor, because Alexander the Great had Aristotle as a tutor. So I love the idea that we'll all have that. And in fact, when that happens, the, the people who get educated in that world will be way better educated than, than, than the people who came before, you know, mm -hmm. you and me and the people who came before, because most of us have gone to schools where there were 20 to 30 kids in a class, or if we were lucky and went to a private school, which I didn't, then there were between 10 and 20 kids in a class. When you have, when everybody has their own personal Aristotle, it'll be one-on-one -on -one tuition from the best tutor that there ever has been. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the products of that education are. They'll be very, very well-educated people. I like the idea of that. I'm just thinking about people who are maybe neurodivergent and their, their tutor would be, I guess, programmed or recognize their students' needs and would adapt their learning style to, to suit the student, whereas it's quite difficult when a teacher's got such a variety of needs within one class. So that, you know, that's something I've not even thought about. That's pretty, it's pretty amazing. Do you know if there's any work being done in that at all at the moment? Is that, is, is that something that you've seen um, happening within the AI world? Yeah, um, a good example is Khan Academy. Mm. Um, which was set up by um, a man who, I think he was an investment professional, he was in financial services of some kind, and he um, was giving some sort of support lessons to his his cousins, and he turned that into a business, and, and um, it was always distance learning, and he's now using generative AI to create tutors. I don't know how far down the track mm. he's got, but yeah, it, right. it, it's, a, it's an area of a very big interest. Education and healthcare will certainly be two areas where this is, 
used a lot. And, and you're right about uh, neurodivergent people. The AIs will learn how they learn best. And also they'll have immediate access to any learnings of other tutors. All these tutors will be connected. And so as soon as there's a breakthrough in how to teach a particular type of neurodivergent person in this skill or that skill, all of them will suddenly know it at the same time, which is quite exciting. Is, I don't know. That is quite exciting. I wonder if the education would change because we, we kind of, a lot of the things we get taught at school don't kind of feel relevant in life sometimes. I mean, you know, it's various skills get uh, got bought on board, of course, but I'm wondering if that would also change um, the, the, the directions that um, some people, uh, you know, what, what skills they begin to learn, what, what, le- what lessons they take. I wonder if that would all come into the AI understanding their pupil more than, uh, you know, a generalized education program. I, I think it will. And I think the really huge benefit will be that education will be personalized. Yeah. At the moment, if you're in this class of 20 to 30 people, you know, the teacher, even if they're superhuman, they, they, they can only go at one pace. And that's going to be too slow for some kids and too fast for other kids. With these personalized tutors, everybody goes at the right pace for them. So nobody gets left behind. You know, there's no module in, in whatever subject that you don't master. I mean, I, I really enjoyed maths when I was a kid. And I did it to O-level, did well at O-level. And then I did an advanced O-level and I suddenly fell off a cliff. Uh, I found the teacher incredibly boring. And I would just, I'd struggle mm. to stay awake during the lessons. And I never got, I never mastered calculus. I just never got it. And as a result, uh, I, I left maths behind, didn't do any sums really for about <laughs> 10 years. And um, that's, a, that's a real shame. And, and with, and I, that's not that teacher's fault. You know, I was one of 30 kids. There's no way that he could um, give the right level of attention, sufficient attention to every single person in that class. But a personalized, a personalized teaching bot can. Do you think it'd ever get to the point where we don't have to learn? It'll almost be like the Matrix, where you're kind of just downloaded to the some sort of chip or artificial artificial intelligence inside your head. Um, well, where would it go? Well, um, it, that is that does sound like science fiction, but I think I think probably within this century, wow. uh, but before the end of this century, it's quite likely that we will have the technology to upload our minds into computers. So, um, you know, we're familiar with that from from science Mm. fiction. And if you imagine your mind being uploaded into a computer, then it has the ability to do things like um, learning how to fly a helicopter or learning Kung Fu, like uh, Keanu Reeves does in in the Mm. wonderful Matrix movies. Um, the, the, The possibilities of what life could be like with really advanced AI and with the help of superintelligence are staggering. Absolutely staggering. I mean, it. I think it's very likely. I don't know this for sure. Don't know. You, timing is mm. impossible to predict. But I think it's very likely that the first people who don't need to die have already been born. I think there are people what? on the planet who just will only die if they get bored. Seriously, seriously. I think we'll cure yeah. aging before the end well, of the century. You, I know that you studied philosophy um, as part of your education. Is that? Do you think that's something that someone would? would want to do to be immortal that way where, I mean, because at some point in time, wouldn't they, wouldn't they have done everything? What, what would be next? Well, I doubt you'll, I doubt, I doubt any of us will ever mm. do everything. It's a very big mm. universe. Okay. You know, the, 
100 billion stars in our galaxy and 100 billion galaxies in the in the observable universe that's a lot of real estate to cover um i would certainly like not to have to die um i lost my parents actually when i was quite young but that's the, the important thing is i lost my parents and i and i would much rather that my son doesn't have to lose me mm-hmm. and that i get to see him you know um go go through all the various stages of his life and i'm really enjoying being alive and i don't see why that would change unless i lose my health obviously when mm-hmm. people get unhealthy okay. um then life becomes more of a trial so this all you know the the idea of of immortality is not necessarily the right word because you can still die if you want to or if you have an accident or whatever but it death death being optional is great but it does depend on remaining fit and healthy mm. um you shouldn't imagine that we all live for thousands of years but get increasingly decrepit there's a greek myth there's a chap called tiresias who that happened to which is very unfortunate but you know if we if we stay fit and healthy then then as long as you continue to enjoy life as long as you continue to find things interesting the amount of things that you can do you know the the musical instruments the languages the places to visit there's there's an almost an infinite fact, probably is infinite amount of fun that there is to be had in the universe yeah i i i love that but i also wonder if we would lose the value for life if we would we become complacent with it? Because the kind of death in itself can often wake us up to the idea that we can't be complacent. We're not guaranteed to take our next breath, let alone live to this evening or tomorrow. And I'm wondering if the AI, AI helping us move towards immortality would take away that sort of, you know, uh, value for life and leaving us in sort of maybe with apathy. The idea that death... Yeah, the idea that death gives meaning to life is a very common idea, and I think it's completely okay. wrong. Um, most of us actually never think about death. We only think about death when somebody dies or when we absolutely have to because you know we're very ill or whatever. The rest of the time, we do our best to ignore it. But we kid ourselves that death gives meaning to life because otherwise the prospect of death is just horrifying. And it, it, there's nothing good about it. Every time somebody dies, we lose a library. And, you know, very often, I can clearly remember when David Bowie died, I was just outraged by the idea that the universe would take David Bowie away. That man should never have died. And all of us shouldn't die. It's just a, an unfortunate accident of evolution that we are, we and most of the other organisms on this planet, but not all of them, uh, are mortal. Uh, evolution has found that works best for, 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 the, for the improvement of, of the genetic stock. But there are kinds of jellyfish. There are hydra, um, and uh, that, that, that don't that don't die unless somebody kills them. Uh, they they don't age, and there are whales that live for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are tortoises yeah. that live for hundreds of years. There was a tortoise that Charles Darwin picked up, and it only died very recently. Um, so, I don't think death is necessary. I don't think there's anything good at all about death. It should be it should be abolished. Should okay. get rid of it. Uh, I, I'm with you on that. I think it'd be interesting. I wonder what people think if they believe in heaven or some af- sort of afterlife. I wonder what their thoughts are about that. Do, I guess you don't believe in an afterlife yourself. I do you think this is it, and we will, you know, this is what we could we we could work with, and you know, keep this library on earth. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm an atheist. I'm I'm what a friend of mine called a light bulb theologist. I think that you know at the point of death, light goes off. That's it. There's nothing else. 
Um, and so the idea that there is a heaven or hell is kind of very alien to me. And um, it, it's hard to debate about, you know, what you should do about things like that, because you know, people who have a, a religious faith, um, they, they just start from such a very, very different premise. Yeah. Uh, but no, I don't think we have souls. Okay. I don't think there is a heaven or a hell. Well, it was just something you mentioned earlier was quite interesting. The way that you're describing AI as a super intelligence sounded almost godlike. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep you interesting beings going and because you provide art and you have these, you know, you have these crazy ideas, etc. You know, is there, you know, a risk that that is something that would be worshipped at some point? You know, people, you know, it seems like human beings love to worship or, you know, find something to you know, look up to. Is this is this a risk for us that AI would go in that direction? It's mm -hmm. a risk that humans might um, yep. do that. Yeah, and I think that's the right way of putting it because I think it'd be completely inappropriate. AI isn't going to be mm -hmm. God. You know, God, I mean, I mean, there are different definitions of God, but let's take the sort of Judeo-Christian Islamic idea of God as an all-knowing, all-powerful being who created the universe. Uh, that, that is clearly not what AI is. It is no more God than we are God to ants, but we have just such disparate level of power to mm -hmm. ants. We, we tend to destroy them <clears throat> inadvertently without even noticing we're doing it. Um, and sometimes we do it because we want to have a swimming pool <laughs> where they happen to have a, a nest. Um, and the the danger of you know the, the downside risk as i've mentioned before super intelligence is that, that we're analogous to that and we would have no way of stopping it but um no they, it, it won't be god interesting and then something else that someone mentioned in the community was uh what if this is a virtual world created by ai and we didn't know um, i believe there was a, a study that something happened in a harvard um university experiment where they created some sort of virtual world um I don't know if you could correct me on that, but um, how do we know that we're not already within AI and this is what we are? Okay, so so this is where we get really bonkers. <laughs> I think we are. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's an argument called the simulation hypothesis yeah. and trying to keep this brief, it, it says, if it is possible to create virtual worlds in which uh, the, the sort of non-player characters, if you like, in the, in the video game, they think they're conscious, if it's possible to do that, then then at some point in the future, if it's possible to do that, then we will do it because it will be the most fun thing you can have. Uh, and we'll create simulations of our past world. We'll create simulations of possible future worlds. And if it is possible to do it, and if there are civilizations in this enormous great universe um, that are ahead of us, then there will be lots of these simulated worlds in existence. In fact, the number of simulated worlds will be far, far greater than the number of worlds which just emerged by the random bumping around of molecules in, in the way that the, the sort of scientific consensus thinks did happen. So assuming it's possible and assuming there isn't some almost godlike ordained rule that says nobody's allowed to make simulations, then there are loads more simulations than naturally occurring uh, universes, in which case we are almost certainly in a simulation. <laughs> And I think a good piece of yeah. evidence for this, so I, I find that argument quite compelling. And I also think that there's a good piece of evidence in that, you know, we, we believe our best, our best theory is that there's 100 billion stars in this galaxy, there's 100 billion galaxies in the universe. And yet we see no evidence whatsoever of aliens doing big pieces of galactic engineering. 
you know, if you were an alien and you had an awful lot of power, alien civilization, and you wanted to just send out a message saying, hello, we're here. What one thing you might do is you might get a, a few planets, smash them up and arrange them into a pattern around a big, powerful star, which occluded that star in, in, in a periodic way, such a way that the, the, that the number pi or some other fundamental number of the universe was blatted out as a, as a lighthouse signal throughout the universe. And some people argue that nobody will ever do that. No civilization will ever do it because it's a good idea not to broadcast your existence because there might be nasty, dangerous other civilizations out there, the dark forest idea. But actually, I think, you know, somebody's going to do it because somebody's going to be so egotistical or confident or have a nice sort of sunny disposition. And they're going to go and say hello to the world by doing something like that. And yet it's not happening. We see no evidence, despite what the UFO nutcakes okay. think. We see no evidence of alien civilizations in this universe, which to me says hmm, it's possible that we are the oldest civilization and we are as far ahead technologically as anybody else. But I think that's pretty unlikely in such an enormous universe that's 13.7 billion years old. So it strikes me as the most likely explanation is that actually all that stuff out there is just painted in. It doesn't exist. We do live in a simulation. What we think of as the entire universe is painted in. And I've got a personal theory about why, why the simulation was created. Not by God, by the way, but okay. by an, an advanced and more advanced civilization. So, yeah, I, I actually do think we are in uh, a, a simulation. Okay, well, you world. can't leave me hanging there, Callum. I need to ask you, what's your theory? If it's, if it's, you know, let's let's bring it out into the open. So, the um, the idea that the simulation hypothesis is quite yeah. old, actually. I mean, you you could say that Plato Plato's ideas of forms were a, a bit like this. Uh, Nick Nick Bostrom is the person who's done most to revive the idea and give it give it a good logical form um my own my only sort of original contribution to it is is this observation it surely can't be a coincidence that we happen to be alive right at the time when agi is on the cusp of being created i mean some people think agi is less than 10 years away this is the most important time in the whole of human history it is obviously somebody had to be alive at that time but the fact that it's me and you seems just incredibly coincidental and therefore it's not a coincidence the most likely explanation is that the simulation was created for this particular point in time the creation of agi the creation of superintelligence and i think what's going on is a very advanced civilization is working out the best way to create a new friend or the best way to create a superintelligence and we're probably part of a monte carlo simulation there's probably thousands and thousands of simulations like ours running at the same time, working out the best way to create new superintelligences. Wow. Can you just, can you, uh, again, my mind's a bit blown. Um, and, but I've heard this, I've heard this recently a lot. So it's not something as a surprise. Uh, and I do find it fascinating. Can you just remind my, myself and the listeners what AGI is? AGI is artificial general just, intelligence. Yeah. And it means simply uh, yeah, an AI with all the cognitive abilities of an adult wow. human. Okay. Which, but which we do not have at okay. the moment, and we don't know when we will have it. Some people say it will never happen, but that's that's quite a rare opinion these days. Um, I mean, it's, what's really interesting is that it, since the arrival of GPT-4, people who really know their AI, people like Jeff Hinton, who was the man who who made deep learning a possibility back in 2012, he now thinks that he used to think that that AGI was sort of probably at least 50 years off. He now thinks it might be 10 or 20 years 
So uh, the, except the timeline is, is looking quite short. And so AGI hasn't got the capabilities of a human being yet. And you say this will eventually lead to super intelligence? If, if, if it, yeah. Yeah. It, it, machines can be improved. We, we, our brains can't be improved all that quickly. Machines can be improved quite quickly just by making them bigger or making them more efficient. And so an AGI will, I think, very quickly become a superintelligence okay. and become superintelligence in the sense it is much, much smarter. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, right at the beginning of this interview that one of the dangers was that it was going to decide that we were a threat to it in some way and try to remove us off of the actual planet. Um, can you open up a little bit more about that? Because that's obviously something that is promoted as a doomsday scenario. Um, some people say it's fear-mongering. You say it's a possibility. And I think it's, it's, it's important for people to get an understanding more of, you know, is there something that can be, we, we can look into more of this? Is this something which we need to do something about? <laughs> um, what are your thoughts? Well, um, so like I say, that, that's the, the third phase of risk uh, superintelligence the first one is like privacy bias trans privacy bias transparency and so on the second wave is a few singularities like the economic singularity and then the third one is superintelligence um, and yes the downside risk is that a superintelligence arrives it, it makes sure that it is invulnerable make sure that we can't hurt it uh, and then it announces itself and then it gets rid of us and it gets rid of us why might it do that well it might do it because it just thought we were a bit untidy and it kind of preferred to have a neater, tidier planet. That's a bit mm. flippant. It, it might do it because it thinks in some way we still are a threat. As I said, um, it might reason that the only possible threat to its continued existence was another superintelligence. And the only way another superintelligence could arrive would be if humans made one. So it might decide to get rid of us for that reason. It might make a moral judgment on us. I mean, I, I don't think this is likely, but it might say, you humans are a pretty bad lot. Look at what you do to animals. Mm. You know, you you um, arrange for the birth and and the up, up raising of billions of animals, uh, and then you eat them. What a ghastly thing to do! You don't deserve to exist. Or you know, a lot of people think that we are polluting this planet beyond uh, beyond repair. Um, it might think you know that's another really stupid thing mm. to have done, and decide you've got to go for that reason. Um, it might there might be some way in which we compete for resources with it. I think that's unlikely, but it might say, "Sorry, I want all the electricity on this planet. You can't have any, uh, and so I'm just going to remove all sources of power from you." And that's pretty much probably going to mean that you're going to die, and you're going to wait. You're going to die in a nasty way. I'll just make it quicker and get rid of you quickly. You know, there's a bunch of and 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 of course because it's super intelligent, we don't we can't predict what it will think. It, its way of thinking will be quite alien to ours, and it'll be way ahead of ours. It may come up for reasons for getting rid of us that we couldn't even imagine. Um, so these these are possibilities. These are the downside risks. There's a man called Eliezer Yudkowsky who spent the last 20 years trying to wake people up to this risk, uh, and he's getting a lot more airplay now. I personally don't think they're the most, most likely outcome. I'm more optimistic. I think that uh, superintelligence would have nothing to fear from us. Um, I don't, don't see why it would find us so completely abhorrent. Um, so I think it would not want to get rid of us, but I can't be sure of that. I think I think the only honest thing to say is we do not know what a superintelligence mm -hmm. will want. And also, we won't be able to control it. We won't be able to do much to influence its decisions because it'll just be a great okay. deal smarter than we are, just like an ant can't control the decisions or the actions okay. of a human. So 
I think so. So in a way, what we're saying is, I think the anxiety around AI can help us not be so complacent with it. So anxiety, some anxiety, healthy anxiety around AI is a good thing to some degree. I think it's the only rational yeah. response. Um, I, th I think the, the rational response to AI is to be both excited and nervous. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic with my own, as my own stance. Okay. And no, I, I, I appreciate your candor. And um, just a couple of other questions from um, people in the community that I've been talking to. Uh, one was that some people don't know where to start with AI. They want to get involved because they fear being left behind. You know, is this just for businesses? You know, I was speaking to some entrepreneurs earlier and they were saying, you know, where do they start? Whereas uh, someone else was saying, is it just, because okay. I use it for just for personal stuff. What, what, what's a good thing? What's a good step? So I got two suggestions. One of them might sound a bit mm -hmm. self-serving. Uh, I wrote a couple of books, Surviving mm -hmm. AI and the Economic Singularity. And I still think that they are as good as, in, as good an introduction for lay people who don't want to become AI researchers. I think they're as good an introduction to the whole area of AI as, as anything else. So I'd get those. The first parts uh, of the books are the same. So choose one or the other. Um, now, the other thing is play with it. Uh, the AIs that are available now, generative AI, you can um, use Google Bard. So Google how to get Google Bard, B-A-R-D. It's a, a very powerful large language model and you can play with it and it's free. Um, and just get it to do things, get it to do things like writing an essay, writing a letter, writing a, a note to, to your friend, um, what, whatever it is that you do for a living or that you do for fun, whatever writing you do, get it to write the first draft, ask it questions, have conversations with it, just play with it. That, I, that's my strong advice. Everybody should okay. do that. I don't find Google Bard actually as useful as chat GPT, sorry, as GPT-4, the open AI large language model, but you have to pay $20 a month for that. Um, I think it's unbelievably good. In what way? What's, what's the difference between um, Google Bard and uh, ChatGPT4 for you? Bard seems to make more mistakes. Um, I, I, the, the way I use them is I, I, I'm a writer by uh, inclination. And since I retired in 2011, also by profession, and I write books about AI. Well, I, I write about AI and I write travel books as well because I travel a lot. Um, and I now get um, both Bard and GPT-4 to write the first drafts <coughs> of uh, the new chapters of the books I'm writing. So I'm booking, writing a book about Bordeaux at the moment and I get them both to write the first draft of a chapter. So I, I write out a prompt, tell it what I want to know about and then I get them both to, to write the first draft. And Bard just makes a lot more mistakes. Okay. Um, sometimes it writes things which I can see where it's, I can see why it's gone down the wrong track, but it's writing about something entirely different. Um, GPT-4 is pretty good. It, it, it tends to produce stuff which is pretty accurate. I have to really check it. And the, and the, the style of the writing is very bland. It's pretty mm -hmm. boring. So I end up completely rewriting it, but it's still an awful lot quicker than facing the terror of the blank page and having to fill it up with stuff to start with. So I find it very, very helpful. Yeah. I think it halves the amount of time I take. So that's that's wow. how I use it. On the other hand, Bard um, will do things that GPT-4 won't do. So um, GPT-4 on its own won't go off into the internet and get data and put it into a table. Well, Bard will do that. 
the only thing is having looked at what it does i'm pretty sure it was completely made up <laughs> okay. and all, all wrong but um <laughs> so so anyone but of course these things are improving day yeah, by day so anyone who's a business for example so anyone who wants to play around with it they're good that's great advice so a business is there any such thing as an ai coach is there someone that they can get advice from if they want to integrate ai into their business so that they're not left behind so there are gazillions of ai okay. coaches um pwc accenture you know they've all set up um, units which are growing like crazy. I mean, Accenture is hiring people like crazy to advise businesses on how to use AI. Um, if you're running a small business, you're obviously not going to use Accenture or PwC. There's a load of people offering advice on YouTube. Uh, I find uh, I don't look at very many of them anymore because I think they're mostly rubbish. Um, I, th I think the best thing to do is just to play with okay. the tools and see what you can do with it. They're, they're not hard. You know, they're, they're quite easy to use. There's two things I think need to happen for business people. And I do think anybody in business should absolutely be playing with AI now and learning how to use it. Maybe not so much if you're a plumber yet, but you know, that will come. But if you're, if, if any part of your business writes reports, um, prepares schedules, uh, has meetings, then you should be using AI and you should be just experimenting it and seeing what it can do, whether it can improve your daily workflow. And then the other thing is you need to be thinking about, well, how could AI do what this company does in a way that's better? And how would I react in, in that situation? So some strategic thinking is necessary as well. But my main thing is, my main message overall actually is, uh, we are in a time of exponential change. Most of us have yet not fully understood the significance of this and we need to. Um, and everybody should be, thinking more about AI, learning more about AI and using it more. That, that's great advice. Um, we're coming to the end of our interview. I could talk to you for ages. There's so much that, you know, this could go into an even deeper conversation. But is there a question about yourself or AI that you wish that you got asked, but people don't tend to ask? That's a good question. And... Um... I can't think of one. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years. So, um, and, and I, I talked to lots of audiences yeah. of smart people. So I've been asked uh, all sorts of questions and this is a miserable reply to your <laughs> good question. I can't That's think okay. of one, no. <laughs> That's okay. I know sometimes I, when I'm talking to people, they're like, I never get asked about my personal life or I never get asked this question about this aspect of like, for example, for you and AI. Um, and sometimes it, it can be, I guess it's like for myself, it's like, oh, what do I ask you? Um, and I was wondering if there was one question that you thought, oh, do you know what? That's, it's, it's rare to be asked that or, or, or I don't get asked at all. No, I mean, I, I, the questions that I normally get are very sensible, but they're the right okay. questions. You know, what is AI? What is it going to do to us? What should my son, daughter study yeah. at university? Are we all going to be killed? <laughs> uh, are we all going to be made godlike? You know, these, these are the sorts of questions yeah. that people ask, and I think they're the yeah, right they're questions. Okay. I mean, I suppose the question I like to be asked most is, would you please um, come give a talk to our event and we'll pay you hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds and put you up in a nice hotel in Athens? <laughs> that's the sort of question <laughs> I like. There you go. That's what I wanted to know. So there you go. That's the one question that if you want to, if you speak to Callum, you need to ask him if you want to go and uh, stay in, in your lovely five-star hotel and uh, pay him lots of money. So that's, that's a good answer. Um, just one more question, just one sneaky one before we go. Uh, what's the most exciting thing about AI? Cause we've covered quite a lot, but just to, if, even if you repeated it, what's the most exciting
marketing aspect of IA that gets you excited? The fact that in, in during the course of this century, if all goes well, we will become godlike. We will become like um, the Greek gods, not like Abrahamic gods, but um, we will stop dying. We will stop aging. Uh, we won't have war, poverty, or death. We our our life possibilities will be enlarged, literally beyond our imagination. And I find all that very exciting. Well, I'm excited by that. Callum, you've been absolute gold. Thank you for so much for coming on to the show. I'm going to put your links to your books because um, you've written quite a few, but I'll put, I'll put a link to your website as well in the show notes. But if anyone is listening to this thinking, how do I get hold of Callum? Uh, where can they find you? Lovely. Thank you very much. And um, you've been a great guest. Thank you for coming on to the show. Great pleasure. Good to meet you, Paul. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Callum. If you enjoyed, please share and subscribe. And I look forward to catching up with you in the very next episode. Have an incredible day.